uno, dos, tres. Hello, besties. This is your favorite caffeinated, medicated, and slightly hydrated nurse, Nurse John. And welcome to my podcast, I Beg Your Pardon. <laughs> it always makes me laugh saying the title of this podcast just because, I don't know, that pardon just like sticks in my head. And now it's a whole thing whenever I hear the accent that I have. So welcome, everyone, to I Beg Your Pardon. And this is our first episode. I am so happy to be here with you guys today. And before we actually start, I just first want to recognize every single one of you who have given me this opportunity to have a platform and to be able to share this kind of things with you guys. And it's been two years that I have been doing content creation and I would never see myself doing this continuously and now it started on tiktok then instagram and then facebook and then youtube and now we're doing a podcast which i would never ever expect myself doing thank you guys so much for being here for supporting me for continuously pushing me be better to grow to do more because like what you guys said i inspire a lot of you guys and i'm so happy and really thankful that i am this kind of i guess person that people look up to now and it's a big duty to have that kind of like status but yes thank you guys so much for all your support so let's start with the first episode which is getting to know me and some new updates with my life let's get to it. All right, so let me reintroduce myself. My name is John De La Cruz. I am 28 years old. I just celebrated my birthday last month, May 8, 1995. So I'm a 90s baby. Hello to all my 90s babies. If you guys are listening right now, give it a hoo-hoo. We're getting old. You can already feel the back pain, the leg shaking, but here we are. Here we are. I have been a nurse for over three years now, and let's go back 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 to the past where everything else has started so let's start with my childhood i was born in the philippines and i was raised by a single mother so my mom has been working a full-time job since the day that she found out that she was pregnant she basically decided that she wanted to give me the best possible life so she works so hard she works in like a nestle which is like a chocolate factory jollibee food chain so customer service and then decided that she wants to be a caregiver. So she worked in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and now Canada, and she's still working as a caregiver till now. One of the biggest influence in my life that I wanted to do something where I can be just like her, where I can give back and care for another life. My mom has been a caregiver for families. The family that she's with right now, she's been taking care for 10, 15 years, I think. And they they don't want to let her go. They just love her that much. That's why I wanted to do something in my life where I, you know, I can like take care of somebody else and make somebody else feel better, make somebody else feel like they belong, they're not alone, and they're, they're being taken care of the, in the best possible way. So that's my first influence. My second influence, my grandparents, because in times that I wish I have like a parents next to me, they would be there to be my parents. And fast forward to when uh, 2008, when my grandpa was diagnosed with lung cancer. So he's a smoker and he's a drinker. That's just the way of life in the Philippines before. And I would even like go out and buy him the cigarettes. <laughs> and it's legal there. Like you can do that in the Philippines. But um, he was diagnosed with 
stage four lung cancer. That was really shocking to our whole family because the doctor gave him like, at, I think like six months or eight months to live. And uh, I'm getting a little emotional. It's been almost like 12 years now that he's dead, but it's still very fresh because um, it was really, I guess, tough for me in such a young age. I was like, probably 12 or 13 before they even diagnosed him i would see him go to the bathroom and he would throw up and he would throw up blood so that for me is like super concerning i would like take pictures of it with my nokia and i send it to my mom and i tell my mom like i think grandpa is like throwing up blood and it i don't know how to i guess react on that time i just saw like my family really sad weeping and they all we all decided that we are all going to take our time to take care of my grandpa and really like focus on giving him the best possible care so every single one in our family would take care of him and we would sleep there just to be with him with my grandpa and we will all watch movie we would all eat together we would do things because six months is not it's not a lot it's not a lot of time and miraculously with the help of god he actually lived for another two years but on those two years it was really tough why because he was suffering a lot he went through chemotherapy and i'm pretty sure that time i thought chemotherapy is like the solution that's going to like cure his situation so i kind of thought that it's just he's gonna get better and everything's gonna be okay and i and like i could literally see him change like physically because he would go from like edematous so he would like water fluid accumulation everywhere in his body and then the next week he would shrunk in and he become so skinny because of the chemotherapy and he would not be able to eat he's had he has trouble swallowing but i have no idea of all of this stuff when I was young. So it was hard for me to really participate and take care of him. So I would just be there and help him get to the bathroom. Then as it gets worse, he was also diagnosed at the same time Alzheimer's disease. So then he started forgetting things. He started forgetting where he lives, what's his name, even grandma, he forgot her and everyone in the family. But one thing he never forgot is me. So <laughs> fast forward to the year he died he was really struggling. He, We really think that he's going to die very soon because we can see it, but we we don't believe it. Like we don't see it like that and we try to like take it out from our head that he's going to die because we're scared and we don't want to lose him. And then May 8th come in the morning and he doesn't remember anyone. He woke up at 6 a.m. in the morning because I, I usually go to the church every the the day of my birthday to just kind of thank for another like year of life and then he woke up and he greeted me happy birthday <sighs> he did remember my name so that for me is like i was like wow and he he was my dad he is my dad i <laughs> i always say that you know I didn't need any dad because my grandpa, my my ama, I call him ama, was my dad. He was there for every single part of my life. And he always tells me like, you, you might not have a dad, but you have me. I'm sorry, guys. I I just really get emotional when I talk about him.
I love him so much. Anyway, so like when he died, like I I was so sad in a sense that I feel like I didn't do anything for him. I didn't do enough for him. He died from like aspiration. It was that time and I even saw my, you know, my uncle like try to like do a CPR on him or try to remove that. I think he aspirated in his own saliva. So um, it was really tough losing him because he was almost like that support in our family that keeps everyone like going and my my grandma is the light of the family because we were all we're so dependent on our like grandparents for some reason even their kids are so dependent on them because we love them so much and anyway so after he died i wanted to do something in my life where i can feel like you know i'm taking care of somebody else but then be able to give them the proper care, the proper intervention that I wish I could have given to my grandpa. So there's only one profession that like struck me and that keeps me wanting to go, which is nursing. Because nursing is you're there with a person on their worst, on their best, the day they were born, the day they go away. And I want to advocate because also I was so mad with the doctors, I'm sorry, because that time I didn't know much. And I was so mad because they're like, what do you mean you cannot do anything? My mom really like tried to find the money to be able to send him to chemotherapy to the hospital. She literally was deep, deep on death just to just to try to elongate my grandpa's life. But then these doctors are just like, I'm sorry, but we cannot do anything anymore. All you have to do is spend his your time with them. And I hate that. I hate that even now with my patients, doctors are going to say to the family, I'm sorry, but we cannot do anything anymore. You have four weeks. I, f- I feel like there's a good way to like break that kind of news to a family instead of like being straightforward. And I know like sometimes being straightforward is the best possible thing because then there's no too much question. But I think there's a way to break it to a family without making them feel shocked. Or in a trauma. Because it's hard. It's hard to take it that the person they've been living with for so long is going to die in this very small amount of time. And that's crazy for me. Anyway, so fast forward to 2012, which is like a year after my grandpa passed away. My mom's application to immigrate me here to Canada finally got approved. And I think it also helped a bit for me to kind of just like forget the whole situation because I was excited to finally be with my mom. And then 2012, I came here in September and I had to repeat two years of high school so to catch up with the type of education they have here because it's very different in the Philippines compared to here. After two years of like high school, I applied to general studies. And while I was in general studies, I tried applying for nursing, but they refused me the first time. So I continued general studies. I was in tourism. Then I applied the second time. They finally approved my application. So I was really happy because that's really what I wanted to do in my life, to be a nurse. And then nursing school comes. This is the time where I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to focus. I'm going to make sure I get A's. Because back in the Philippines, I was always like a top student. Like I would be like the second or the third top student in class. And it's so competitive in the Philippines like that. Students are, they always compete with each other to get to the top. And I used to be that competitive. And then I got in here in Canada and I realized how 
it doesn't really matter what your grade is. It doesn't really matter if you're at the top of the class because at the end of the day, you're going to be working in the same same place with a person who was the top of a class of some other school. And you guys are getting paid the same. Anyway, so I got into nursing. It was really tough for me. I didn't know that it's going to be a lot of like giving up your social life, giving up a lot of things. And I guess I was prepared for that too because I'm a very introverted type of person and I don't really have much friends. So it was fine for me to kind of let, let go of that. And I also didn't attend much family gatherings because we have some family here in Canada. They're like second or third relative, but they're there to support my mom and us. I made friends in nursing school. That's, I think, one of the best thing I've ever did is to make friends inside nursing school. Because the people that I was, that I became friends with in nursing school is still my friends, but now I call them family. But we went through college and university together to finish five years of nursing. So it's very different here in Montreal, Quebec, because we have college and we have university. How it's explained in the U.S. is you have the ADN program and then you have your bachelor's. That's basically how it is here in Quebec because it's the French system. So in nursing school, like the first semester was really tough for me because again, like it's, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of theory stuff. It's the basic stuff you learn from nursing. It was really like boring. Anyway, so the second semester of nursing is when it was, I guess, tougher for me because then one of my uh, instructor, my professor, sat me down and she told me that maybe I should reconsider another profession. And I was literally weeping in her office because I could never imagine how a professor could just tell that to someone that maybe this is not for you. Maybe you should reconsider something instead of like telling them it's okay. This is not you like almost failing a care plan. It was a care plan project that I keep getting wrong that she thinks that because of that, I should not be a nurse and that I should try to see or find another path that I could be good at. So that was really crappy for me, but I took that as almost like a constructive criticism. But at the same time, I will prove you something and I will prove you wrong because I am meant to be where I am and I am meant to be a nurse. And then I made it to nursing. It was really tough. But again, like I told you, if there's one thing I could recommend for someone starting nursing is that find friends inside nursing school that you can study with, you can cry with, you can bend to, because those are the people that's going to take you till the end. You need people who are motivated to do something for you to be able to be motivated to because I'm telling you right now, nursing school is unmotivating. All of the struggle that you have to go through is unmotivating. You just want to give up. You're going to feel like useless. You're going to feel stupid. Gonna... But when you have other people who you can come to and be like, oh my God, so I'm not alone, that helps a lot. And like I told you, the friends that I have from nursing school are now my family. I'm like the uncle of their kid and it's fine. Okay, so that's that. That's nursing school. And then when I finished my bachelor's, so I, after university, I finished my bachelor's. I'm actually the first Zoom University graduate. <laughs> so I was the first one to graduate in Zoom. And it was so crappy for me because 
oh, wait a second. I didn't graduate Zoom in university. I graduated Zoom in my ADN program. So my three-year program, I graduated in Zoom. So we did a toast. And we never had the whole like white coat ceremony and anything like that. Nothing. And I was so disappointed because I was like, I didn't go in nursing school for three years and struggle and have my mental health like literally deteriorate just for me to do a toast in Zoom. But I was able to kind of redeem that in my bachelor's program because at the end, I was able to walk on the stage. And that's the time that people actually recognized me already as Nurse John. So when I went to the stage, everyone was shocked. They're like, oh, Nurse John? And I was like, Nurse John, Nurse. It was really funny. It was crazy, but it was fun. So yeah, after that, I did another mistake. So basically what happens uh, after my ADN program is that we have an internship, which is the last semester of our internship. I was actually working as a nurse, a pre-licensed nurse, because we have it here in Quebec that way, during my bachelor program. So I was working almost full-time as a nurse because I took a lot of overtime shit, which you should not do, please do not take overtimes anymore. I did my internship in my last semester for my ADN program and I work in a med surge specialized in transplants. So we do like liver transplant, kidney transplant, pancreas, all of that stuff. And we also have uh, ears, nose, throat, so like tracheostomy, laryngectomy, all of those other stuff. So it's a lot. That med surge actually felt med surge slash ER because they would still send us a bunch of other patients. The ER is full or like when there's no other bed for another unit, they would send it to us. So we would have everything. My internship in there and they really liked me. The manager liked me. The people who works there liked me and they told me that, hey, would you like to work for us and I'm like absolutely I would love to and I think that's <laughs> the biggest mistake I've ever done not that I applied to that unit but accepting a job while I'm in school in nursing so then after I finish my bachelor's I'm already working so there's not really a time where I could spend just for myself travel or buy things or go to therapy which I never really believed before. I was just working. So like right after school, I was already working. There was no gap of rest, basically. And I think that's the baddest move I've ever done. You should take some time off after nursing school. Go treat yourself. Go spend like six months, I don't know, in in a mountain or go heal yourself because nursing school already is traumatizing. And when you step your foot in a hospital, that's even more traumatizing. That's like PTSD right there. I worked in that med surge floor for two and a half years. It was really fun. I can tell you that. But at the same time, like when I finished my bachelor's program, that's when the peak of the pandemic was unstable. And it wasn't the same when I started working there as a pre-licensed nurse because it was much easier. So then things are just getting a bit more crazy because now I don't have an instructor next to me or I'm not paired up with a nurse and I'm, I don't have lives in my hands. And it was a lot for me. And at the same time, I had this like imposter syndrome of like, am I really made for this? Am I really going to be a good nurse? Am I really going to be able to save someone's life? So it was hard. It was hard going through that. And, and I was wishing that there was someone who could tell me that everything is okay and that I'm not the only one who's going through it. I mean, I have the best colleagues 
that I could possibly ask for. A lot of my colleagues are very supportive. They're always there to help me. Even like our assistant manager, even our manager. I'm just so happy with this like unit. But I think what's getting worse is that the whole regulation and the everyday changing rules about COVID and the unpredictability also of that unit burnt me out. Because I feel bad when it, when you're starting as a nurse, you're going to have this sense of like feeling... <sighs> bad about your colleagues suffering so then you take so much overtime to help out i'm back the next day so let's say i start from 7 a.m and i finish uh 7 p.m so that's like a 12-hour shift and they need someone to cover the next four hours until midnight until a next nurse comes and i would take those four hours because i know that it's gonna be crappy if no one takes that four hours in between because the nurse is not gonna be able to focus by herself. I just want everything to be smooth the next day I come back instead of it being messy so I don't have to deal with it in the morning. So I keep doing that and I think I fucked up myself from doing that because after two years of working, I started to feel more compassion fatigue and I get irritated. But listen, my colleagues would never see this. They always see me smiling. My patient, they never see me sad. Like my patient would literally tell me, John, has there any time in your life where you're sad? Because I always put up this face. And you know what they say. The person that puts up a smile on their face are always the one who's mentally ill. So that's why I didn't realize is that, you know, I was going through burnout, like the signs and symptoms of burnout. And I just kept going. I kept going because I think about the bills that I have to pay. I think about my patients. They're like my biggest motivation to go to work. Seeing my patients get better every day helps me and motivates me to come to work every single day because I feel good about being that nurse who was able to make someone feel better or put someone in a state where they can go back home. So for me, I was like, oh my God, this feels good. And they give you compliments. They do things for you. Like, it was just so appreciative. The appreciation, like I'm telling you right now, guys, if there's any patient who's listening right now in this podcast, appreciation towards a nurse, even a small thank you, a hug, anything makes a lot of difference because this job that we have is so hard and sometimes we are not appreciated for what we do. And when someone do appreciate us, even the smallest, slightest thing, we feel so much better and we cover up those fatigue, irritation and sadness and madness. So I was thinking to myself, maybe I'm not burnt out because I don't want to believe that. But I've searched in Google what happens when you're irritated, fatigued, this and this and this and burnout would be the first one to show up in Google. But I didn't believe that. So I was telling myself, maybe I should just change my floor to another floor. Have some, have a different environment. Maybe it's an environment because it's getting crazier on that. Like the turnover of like nurses on the unit that I was, year and a half, it was slow. And then after that, it started to get faster and faster and like shorter and shorter. And from a year and almost like in the senior group of nurses, that is scary. That is quite scary. So then... I was like, maybe I should go to another unit. So I decided to apply to the emergency department, which is such a fun department because I like chaos, unorganized chaos. People call emergency department as just like messy and chaotic. But I find that it's like an organized chaos. 
I started my training in the ER department. I was so happy. Again, like I found a really amazing manager and a super supportive environment and colleagues. It wasn't a shock for me, like moving from like med search to the emergency department, because I'm telling you right now, if you start in med search, which you, you don't have to, like it's, it's, you know, it's by choice. You wouldn't be shocked if you go to ER. There's probably some other things that you haven't seen before in the med search unit that you're going to be like fascinated about, but you're not going to be shocked if you're short like three nurses after being in med search or that your patient is this crazy. There's no shock for me. It was fine. I have the best team in there in the emergency department, but what I noticed is that I still have the same, same feeling that I have the irritation, the fatigue, the not feeling to like get up from bed and you're like, oh, another day at work. So I asked my manager if I can take some mental health leave, which I'm so happy that he was very supportive. And he's like, absolutely, you can go for a break. But it was very short. It was five days. And then that those five days, I seek therapy for the very first time. I was never uh, a believer of therapy because I always think that I can manage it myself. <laughs> That's a very Taurus in me. I'm very, very stubborn. And that the thing the therapist is going to tell me is the same thing I tell myself. But honestly, like hearing it from somebody else instead of myself helps. So if you are also in the verge of like thinking of going to therapy, do it, babe. Do it, sis. It helps. I'm telling you right now. Do you want to be mentally ill but rich or mentally stable but broke? I think you would want a mentally stable and then you can work the broke out somewhere. Anyways, I went to therapy and the therapist literally told me that you are experiencing adjustment disorder and at the same time, you are severely burnout. And I was in shock. I mean, I guess not like a big shock, like, oh my God, I'm burnt out. But it just kind of like confirms to me, take that like big sharp thing in my chest that okay i'm not stupid i'm not hallucinating i'm actually experiencing burnout and he's like you're going to need more than just five days to recuperate from this you're gonna need a long time of therapy so then i asked my manager if we can do that he said yes but you have your vacation if you want to use your vacation time off so i, I was like okay fine let me use my vacation for my own mental health because they wouldn't give me anything else. And while I'm on those mental health vacation, it was really helping me because every week that I go back to see my therapist, he would literally tell me, John, you are getting so much better in handling your anger, your frustration, your anxiety. And then I want to kind of elongate it and kind of maybe go from like a full-time job position in my ER to like part-time. But the part-time here is basically a point seven, So which is like four days in a week. So that is still almost like full-time job. Think about it, guys. And that is the only thing they can give me. My therapist actually wanted me to go like slowly. So go like one shift a week and then two and then three and then four, like gradually. But the hospital didn't want to give that. And while I was on my break, they actually sent me an email. <laughs> and you guys would be shocked. The email basically says that they want another opinion from a doctor they chose to see if that doctor is going to have the same opinion as my doctor. Shockers. So they actually don't believe that I was mentally ill. <laughs> with my anxiety, with my depression and stuff, and my burnout. So they had to get another opinion from another doctor. So I was like, you know what? Whatever. 
I'm gonna go on that. So then, you know, it's not a shocker again. The doctor says like, oh, he is fit to go back to work. And then so my manager put me as I love this manager so much, but like he literally put me back full time because of that opinion. So I got really pissed because I'm not quitting this therapy and then go back to work again and just like waste all the progression that I did. So my union contacted me and they're like, we're going to help you because we're unionized here. We're going to help you with your situation. So what's going to happen is that we're going to be picking another therapist, but this time it's us who's going to be picking it. And then they're going to evaluate you. And if they coincide with you, you win the case and that you can stay in your time off. So that doctor did an evaluation and gladly and luckily he agreed with my therapist because it's really true. (laughs) The evaluator from the hospital literally said like he was dressed up well for and he was smiling when I cracked jokes. Well, what the what do you want me to do? Come to your clinic looking like a mess, almost like KMS? No, of course, I'm going to present myself okay. But that doesn't mean I'm not going through something. So then after winning that case, because it was a long, long, long process, I decided, I was like, you know what? This is also giving me a lot of anxiety and stress. It's not worth it for me that a hospital literally did not believe what I'm going through. Instead, contraindicated and tried to put me in more stress and more challenges instead of like supporting me through this whole situation. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna quit bedside for now and focus on my therapy. So I stepped my foot this time and decided that I am going to quit nursing. I quit last December and I can tell you right now that I am so much more better in controlling my emotions. Anything that I'm put in, I'm so much more better because of the therapy that I went through. And I can suggest to you guys that if you ever feel the same thing I have been feeling, you might be suffering from burnout. You're thinking about your bills, you're thinking about your patient, you feel guilty, but don't. Feel guilty about not doing something for yourself. You are more important than this job. You are more than your job. Nursing always, always be there. There's always going to be a job somewhere, somehow. But your physical, mental, and emotional health, when they're damaged, it's going to take time to heal. So focus on those. All right? So that's it. So right now, I'm not practicing as a nurse. I'm actually, well, working my papers with an agency because an agency would let me have like a per diem kind of schedule where I can choose when to work and how many days do I work, which I should have thought before, but I didn't. And I want to go back working again in bedside. And I think bedside is the only place I would want to work in. There's just something about bedside that I love. Okay, guys. So that is the scoop in my life. And while we're here, we're going to be answering some questions you guys have asked me. So let's do this. First question is from Laura Shrimplin. One moment that you will never forget that you experienced with a patient. (laughs) So uh, I'm not going to give any information or anything, but Mr. Smith is real. Mr. Smith, the ceiling climber is real. So I've had a Mr. Smith in one of the hospital that I work at. So it was, I was bringing a medication and Mr. Smith is going through like mental illness, but he was okay that time because I assessed his mentation and everything and everything seems to be okay, which I shouldn't, I should have used my critical thinking. Anyway, so he was like, oh, can you please get me some water and some food and I will take my medication if you do that because he keeps refusing his medication. I come to get all what he asked for me and then when I come back, I cannot find him and guess where we found him. He was there 
up the ceiling. So we had to call Code White. Code White here in that hospital that I work at is basically a violent patient. But he wasn't violent. He's more like missing patient. So she, he should have been like a code yellow or something. So yeah, Mr. Smith, uh, ceiling climber is real. That's like a trauma for me. Next, who films your videos planning behind the videos? So I'm the only one who films my video. One thing I don't do as a content creator is sit down and write things. When an idea strikes me, I take my tripod, I take my phone, film. That's how I work. Maybe write down, like, let's say I'm in a metro or a subway and I thought about something, I would just write it in my notes so that when I get home, I can film it. What's the scariest thing you've witnessed during your shift? Yee! <laughs> you wouldn't believe these guys. So it was like a night shift in my unit and I was here in this, the north side of the unit. So we were two nurses. There's 12 patients. So we got six, six. And I was the first one to go to break. I wanted to give report to my other nurse so that I could pass her all my patient while I'm on break. So I was giving her report. I have six to 12. And I was telling her like patient six is good. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And she literally told me, she's like, um, you only have five patients actually. You are actually expecting an admission in room 12 i was like that's impossible i have a lady there who i was talking to she's like there's no lady there the lady there died like <laughs> before you even got into your shift i don't know who the hell i talked to i did not go to my break i stayed in the nursing station and i waited for sunrise because babe i am not gonna see any ghosts F that Ramona the Traveler asks, your advice for everyone who wants to go into nursing, like what do you think they need to consider? One thing you have to consider before you go into nursing is that, am I really ready for this? Am I ready to have someone's life in my hands? Am I going to be an advocate, someone who's going to educate, someone who's going to protect them? Because people who go to the hospital are in their vulnerable times and you as a nurse is the person who should be there, protect them, educate them, advocate for them. And also think about self-love and care. I want you to think about that. Am I able to stand my ground and say no to things that I don't want to do, to refuse things? Because when you're in nursing, you are always made to feel bad about not helping your colleagues or not taking extra shift or like doing this or not. You have to know that. You have to know self-care and self-love. Next, how do you deal with patients who you lose in the job? Death? It's really hard for me. So one thing about me is even though I'm a Thoris, I'm a crier. I weep with my patients. <sighs> It's really hard for me because then I always like develop this like super strong connection with my patient because as much of an introvert as I am, I'm an extrovert when it comes to my patient. Like I would literally tell them every single thing that happened in my life from like day one to day freaking, I don't know, 2,400 of my life. And they would find out every single thing about me. As much of an introvert, like I said, I always want to share so much to my patients so that they feel that they can trust me, that I'm not just a stranger who's coming to your room, giving your medication or nothing. I always want a trusting relationship with my patients. Whenever I lose them, even them just like getting out of the hospital makes me feel so sad and depressed. But it makes me feel happy too at the same time because I get to bring them home. But if I don't get to bring them home and a little tough for me so i need like a two three days of just like zen and like reminiscing all the fun and crappy days i was with that patient next were you ever a night shift nurse and how did you survive those nights i love night shift night shift is if i can choose between day and night i would choose night every single day 
listen, there's no management. Second of all, like I can actually speak with my patient, talk to them, give them the best proper care. It's not chaotic. The only thing that's like, I think a downside of night, night shift is that you don't have anyone, literally. Like even the doctors are on call and they would never answer you until like freaking 5 a.m. in the morning and you're stuck there figuring out your stuff. How did I survive those night shifts? Energy drinks, coffee, Uber. <laughs> Uber is so much food. There was this one time actually that um, I was so hungry and there was no restaurant open and there was only one. Hooters. So guess what I did? I ordered like 50 chicken wings <laughs> and I was munching on chicken wings while I was charting. Disgusting. But hey, I was fed. I was alive. Patients are okay. That's the most important part. But it smells like a buffalo wings in the unit. And I don't care. It was night shift. Who cares? Next. What's one thing you always do during your break time? Sleep. Or I try to like go to the locker room and I just like swipe on TikTok or like just watch YouTube to just kind of like get my head off the unit and the whole things, the whole intervention that I have to still finish. So yeah, that's what I do. What is the best thing a patient or patient's family has ever done for you? So uh, I cannot really pick because there's so many things that patients and patients' family have done for me. But I think one thing that I really appreciate is a lot of my patient has given me flowers like plants so the funny thing is because like I said overshare with them they would know that I love plants so they would remember what kind of plants I have and they would buy me those plants before they go home or like when they leave like I had this 87 Italian lady and she really loved how I took care of her and she wants me to call her Nana and then she literally asked her grandkid to find an orchid that's vile it to give it to me and then so the grandkid brought it to the hospital and i was like oh my god that's a really cute orchid he's like oh that's not for me that's for you my dear i thought you like orchids and i was like yes i did but you don't have to get it for me and she's like if you don't accept this i'm gonna be really mad so i had to accept it i have seven different plants that my patients gave me and they're still alive they're still thriving i still remember each one of them and i named every single plants on my patient's name lastly how do you reboot recharge yourself i love cooking Cooking helps me kind of like reboot and kind of relax and kind of forget what's going on or what I just had experienced in the hospital. So cooking helps a lot for me. And also I like hiking. So I would hike with my friends who are all nurses and it helps. So yeah, that's all the questions that I have for now. And I hope you guys like this and love this first episode. Don't forget to share this. We can get up there and make sure i can make more episodes for you guys to talk about and trust me there's so many teas to uncover to drink i will make sure you are going to have the best time in your life while driving on your shift while shitting at home depressed anxious i am here for you guys i will entertain you for the rest of your life i promise you that thank you guys so much for listening to our first ever episode of i beg your pardon and I hope you guys are having an amazing time. And I want you to always remember something. Stay caffeinated, medicated, hydrated. You are love. You are enough. And you are worthy. And you are doing an amazing job in whatever in life you are doing. Always remember that. Again, don't forget to share. Put a five star on our first episode and comment on it, baby. Let's put it on the top. Let's get it on. I love you guys so much. This is Nurse John and we'll see you soon on the next episode.